right, we are in John. I was thinking about it today. John is the longest book we've ever attempted to tackle. Uh, it's got 21 chapters in it. I think the Hebrews was the longest one we went through so far. So I'm going to try to get through this a little quicker. We're in chapter 3. You're only doing this for like a week, right? Chapter 3. So we need to pick it up a little bit. Um, quick recap. Uh, we're in chapter 3. Nicodemus came. He showed up to Jesus at night. Uh, he began to ask Jesus a question. And we looked at last week when we talked um, we looked at how God, Jesus told him the problem was you. That's what Jesus ended up saying. And we looked at how God relates to his people, how he's been, how he's been talking to people. And we looked at the covenant-keeping God. And we looked at some covenants, the covenant he made with Adam, the covenant he made with Abraham, the covenant he made with Moses, the covenant he made with the people. And then finally, we started to look at the new covenant that he said, I will put my laws inside you and write on your hearts and you and I will forgive and never remember your sins. And so we looked at how God talked to his people. And I did that as a setup for what we're going to look at today. So just remember in your mind, God, through history, talks in the covenant. The way he relates to humans is through covenants that he made. Uh, and each one of those covenants led to this new covenant. So fast forward. John chapter 3, there was a man, verse 1, from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come, teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Verse 3, Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus went straight to the point. He didn't play around. He knew the real reason or uh, why Nicodemus was there, what Nicodemus needed. And so he went straight to the point. Now, Nicodemus tried to climb <coughs> Jesus. This is the part we're going to talk about that. Nicodemus tried to climb Jesus. Jesus said, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Remember, born again. Those are two Greek words. Born again means born anew. All right. Our English translated to again. The actual word there is anew. All right. So Jesus said that unless someone is born again, someone is born anew, newly born, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, verse four, how can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked, can he enter into his mom's womb a second time and be born? Climbing Jesus. Nicodemus, he tried. He tested his, as the kids say today, he tested his gangster. No, he tried my life. I don't know. They say something. Something the kids say, that's what Nicodemus did to Jesus. All right? Um, Jesus wasn't having it. That's probably like why Jesus. As you look through John and you look at all of these encounters that Jesus had with people, Jesus didn't play games. He told Jesus, listen, you need to be born anew, born afresh from above. Nicodemus said, oh, so I got to jump back in my mom's womb again and be born again? Verse 5, Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is, watch this, born of water and the spirit, two things he said that, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed. Don't be shocked. Don't lose your mind because I told you, you must be born anew. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound. But you do not know where it comes or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things 
see. He's still confused. He's so confused. This is where Jesus gets him. And this is part of like verse 10. Jesus said, you call yourself a teacher of Israel and you don't know this? What's the oldest translation? Verse 10, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied? Jesus said, listen, Nicodemus, the only way, remember he was a Pharisee, he was excited about the kingdom, they were waiting for the kingdom, they knew they were going to enter the kingdom and rule with the Messiah. Jesus came on and said, listen man, you can't get into the kingdom of God, you can't be a part of the kingdom of God unless you are born anew. Nicodemus said, oh, I got to jump on my mom's stomach again, womb again to be born? Jesus said, wait a minute, you're supposed to be a teacher of Israel. You're supposed to be a Pharisee. You're supposed to be the guys who we talk to who takes the scriptures and explain it to us. You're trying to tell me, Jesus said, that you're a teacher of the Jews and you don't know what I'm talking about? Now that sparks some things with me. Why did Jesus assume, or why would Jesus play to the point that you're supposed to be teaching me, you're already supposed to know this? What is the this that Nicodemus, because he was a studier of the law, because he read the law, because he presented the Old Testament, what was it about was written before that Nicodemus should have known that this should have been a shock to him? Let's look at what Jesus said first. He said, listen, verse 5, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water, and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there has been a lot of commentaries about what Jesus was talking about right there. Could be a couple of things. One, water, some people say, well, the water means a natural birth. Because when a woman is giving birth, the water breaks, the baby comes out, there's water there, such and such. So when Jesus said, unless a man is born of water and of the spirit, what he was saying was, unless someone is born naturally, and then if someone was born of the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. I don't necessarily... Uh, uh, Roll with that one, or, or, or adhere, better phrase, to that one. Because I think Jesus cleared that up when he, at the next verse. He said, whatever's born of flesh is flesh. I think there he's talking about actual physical birth there. So I don't think the born of water has to do with physical birth, because in the next verse, he talks about physical birth. He called it flesh. Anything that's born of flesh is flesh. Whatever's born of spirit is spirit. So there is a difference between physical and spiritual. Some people say, well, it must be water baptism. What Jesus is saying is that you have to be baptized in order to get the kingdom of God. The problem I have with that is that that is not consistent with the scriptures. When I look at the scriptures and read the Bible, the Bible says that believe and receive, believe to be saved. When I look at the scripture, nowhere in the Bible does it show baptism as a saving agent. The Bible says you are saved by grace through faith. Baptism is a sign, is a uh, letting the world know or an outward showing that, hey, I have given my life to Christ. Check this out. I'm going to show you and be not be ashamed about it. So I don't think Jesus is talking about water baptism. Let, let's look at again what he said. Born of water and of the spirit. Born of water and of the spirit. It's kind of synonymous with what he said before. When he said, uh, you need to be born anew and from above. That's what the again word means. When we looked at it, born again means born anew and from above. So something that's old needs to be turned new and it needs to come from above. I think the clue is in verse 10. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? So where in the Old Testament, where in the law, in the uh, 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 Pentateuch or in the Torah 
because it talks about water and clean and newness, that type of thing. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 19. Now, I believe the reason Jesus said, are you teaching? I mean, you're supposed to be teaching these things. You're Pharisees, you don't know this. In the, old, in the olden days, back when Jesus was around, they had, of course, the temple. And the Pharisees and the scribes and the priests used to go in and should open up the scrolls and should read them in front of the people. They used to study so on and so forth. Uh, on Sabbath day, they did this. On Shabbat and on holy mornings, they used to do this. Now, there was this thing that they used to do. They would read the Torah. Remember the Torah are the first five books that we have in our Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was called the Torah. Jews hold those five like, oh my goodness, this is it. Okay, Moses wrote this. Moses was the greatest. This is what it's about. They would read some portion of the Torah on Sabbath or on their holy mornings. They would read that. Then, after they read that, they would read an additional section afterwards. Okay, so you come to church, you come to the temple, they would read from the Torah, first five books. Then, after that, they would read kind of a supplementary uh, section. Traditionally, they would, they would read another biblical section called the Haftarah. Okay? The word Haftarah means to conclude. So they would read from the Torah, and then to conclude or to wrap it up, they would read a Haftarah. Okay? Now, the tradition was that whatever Haftarah you read, and it was usually some writings from some of the prophets, okay? whatever one you read, had to coincide with the parts you read from the Torah. So there were certain sections. Say, okay, today, guys, what are we doing? They were meeting for church. Hey, what are we doing today? Hey, today we're going to do the uh, um, Shabbat. Uh, let's do Shabbat power today. Shabbat power was Numbers chapter 19. That's what you turn into. Numbers chapter 19. Say, okay, so when you read Numbers 19, what's the half power you're supposed to read with that? So they pull out that chart. Uh, okay. Numbers 19, the half tower to read with that one is Ezekiel 36. Okay, so um, um, Thomas, you do uh, Numbers 19, and then uh, Philip, you wrap it up, the half tower with Ezekiel 36. I just made those two names up. But that's how it went, okay? Jesus said, aren't you a teacher of the Jews and you don't know this stuff? So there's some traditional readings that were there. So let's look at this one. Numbers chapter 19. They would come to church. The religious leaders would stand up and they'll start reading. This one they called Shabbat Power. Numbers 19. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. This is the legal statute that the Lord has commanded. Instruct the Israelites to bring you an unblemished red cow that has no defect and has never been yoked. Give it to the priest, Eliezer, and he will have it brought outside to the camp and slaughtered in his presence. The priest, Eliezer, is to take some of its blood with his finger and sprinkle it seven times toward the front of the tent of the meeting. The cow is to be burned in the sight. Its hide, its flesh, its blood are to be burned along with its waste. The priest is to take cedar wood, hyssop, crimson yarn, and throw them into the fire where the cow is burning. Then the priest must wash his clothes, bathe his body in the water. After that, he may enter the camp, but he will remain ceremonially unclean until the evening. The one who burned the cow must also wash the clothes and bathe his body with water, and he will remain unclean until the evening. A man who is clean is to gather up the cow's ashes, watch this, and deposit them outside the camp in a ceremonially clean place. 
The ashes will be kept by the Israelite community for prep for preparing the water to remove impurity. This will be a sin offering. Then the one who gathers up the cow's ashes must wash his clothes and remain unclean until evening. This is a permanent statue for the Israelites and for the alien who resides among them. So the Bible says, Jesus says, as they're reading it, what happened? There was a red heifer or red cow. And Jesus said, you take the cow, you take it outside of the camp, and you kill the cow. Take some of the blood, you throw it on the altar, you take the rest of it, and you burn it. You burn everything with it. Then you throw some hyssop in there, which is a little plant. You throw some wood in there, and you throw some red material in there. You burn that. You get the ashes. You take those ashes, and you take some clean, purified water, and you put the ashes in the purified water. This concoction of pure water and the ashes of a dead, red cow that has been sacrificed, are mixed together, and this will become the ceremonial cleaning solution. As you keep reading the passage, it tells you what you do with it. If a person, verse 11, touches a human corpse, they will be unclean for seven days. He is to purify himself with the water. This was a sin offering, and it was supposed to clean or purify anything that has come in contact with death. So if you're in a room and somebody dies, you are unclean, you're supposed to find some of this water, which was pure water and the ashes of the red heifer, sprinkle on you, and you would be whew, good. I'm clean now. I'm good. I can go. If you're in a house and someone dies in that house, somebody's supposed to go into the house, and anything that had a cover off, like some food that had a cover off, was unclean. You had to take that special water and sprinkle it on it, clean everything in the house. If you accidentally touched a corpse or something that was dead, you were unclean, and you had to go, oh, man, Eliezer, I need the, um, the pure water, red heifer, ashes thing. Put some of that on me. God said, this will clean the impurity after you have been contaminated by death. What was the big deal? What was the big thing with death? Well, death, I guess we're studying this. This guy named Henry Law kind of broke it down. Well, we have to understand what God was doing. Oh, oh by the way, side note. When we look at those ceremonial traditions and those rituals that God told the children of Israel to do, the idea of those was here are some physical things that you're supposed to do to represent something in the spiritual world. Okay? So I'm going to get into the details of the red cow blood, how you had to take the cow outside the camp. When Jesus died, he, wasn't, he didn't die in Jerusalem. They took him outside the city and they killed him. How his blood was shed, and that blood was put on the altar. How his death was a sacrifice, and that death mixed with that water purified and cleansed the stench of sin, which was death. When we look at death, death was born out of the womb or out of the cradle of sin. We sin, and the Bible says because we have sinned, death must follow. And so uh, Henry Law said that death is transgression's child. I like how you put that. If sin had a child, that child would be death. The result, what comes from sin, is death. And so death is the consequence of disobedience. Jesus said, God said, if you if I put this tree there, don't eat this tree, you live. You obey me, you live. You disobey me, you will surely die. So disobedience is sin, and sin gives birth to death. 
in death is wrath of God, displeasure from God, and a curse of God. So death then is a eternal or an everlasting evidence that sin, that rebellion has operated, has done something. So whenever we see death, a family member dies, an animal dies, a tree dies, that death is a constant reminder that we rebelled against God, and because of that, death has entered the world. That's why death was so important to be conquered by Christ on the cross. That's why Paul said, death, oh death, where is your sting? God, when he defeated sin, he also defeated death because death is naturally tied to sin. So when we see death, that's the most tangible or the most concrete thing that we can see that has absolute proof that sin exists. Death follows because sin started. Therefore, God said, if you are in the presence of death, you are contaminated because death means sin. And so God said, listen, I've got this ritual I want you guys to do because you have to cleanse yourself because you've been around death. We live in a world that's dead. That death that the world has that we exist in is because of sin. And so Jesus said, you ever been around something dead? Anybody ever smell something dead? We live in New Orleans, right after Katrina. And um, water was everywhere. When it, once I went back to work, took some back roads to get there, and there was this dog, this is disgusting, that was on the side of the road, and it had blown up to about the size of a horse. I mean, it looked like it was about to bust. I mean, a, a regular dog, it was about, it had swollen up so big, and the stench, the one that smelled like death for about two, three months. You saw dead fish, dead birds, their bodies floating, all that, that whole area smelled the stench of death. And so when you think about how death smells, you don't want to rub up on that, mmm, that smells good. We're going to roll around with these dead people. No. There's a stench, there's a disgusting uh, a defilement that comes with death. And so when we look at the defilement that comes with death, and death being a result of sin. And sin is our disobedience to God. Our disobedience breeds us defiled. And so God said, if anybody come in contact with death, they need to be clean. The result is damage and stain. Any contact, a result of death. And so God said, kill this cow, burn him, Take the ashes, mix it with pure water, and take this pure ash water and sprinkle it on anything that come in contact with death. And what would happen is that which was come in contact with death would have been defiled would be cleansed. And so we have the washing and the cleansing and the purification by the sprinkling of this cleansing water. <coughs> that was Shabbat Parah. So uh, what I call Thomas read that. Okay? In Jesus' name. Then they call Philip. My turn. Philip comes up and he reads the corresponding part. So after they read that, the red heifer, death, defilement, the sprinkling of this water, 
of this uh, uh, concocted water on you would cleanse you, would wipe you clean. The next thing they read would be Ezekiel chapter 36. Turn in. Jesus told Nicodemus, wait a minute, bro. Aren't you a teacher? Don't you read the Torah? Don't you read the prophets? You telling me you don't know this? Jesus said, unless someone is born of water and from the spirit, he cannot be clean. The next section they will read is Ezekiel chapter 36. I'm going to start at verse 22. Pay close attention to what's said here. Therefore, remember, if, you were, if we were in Jerusalem around the time Jesus was walking around, 22, 25, 80, right after we read number 19, we would go right to this verse. Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God said. I love this. It is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will honor the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. You know what profane means? It means disrespected. God said, you have disrespected my name, but I'm going to make my name great. Okay? And that's going to be out of my holiness. The nations will know that I am the Lord. This is the declaration of the Lord God. When I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. Okay, God. God said, y'all, y'all done messed my name up. What, uh, what, uh, <laughs> don't, don't, uh, ah, can't think of the phrase. Put some respect on my name. That's, a, that's what I'm looking for. Thank you. God said, y'all done messed my name up. Y'all disrespected my name. Check this out. I'm coming and I'm going to put respect back on my name out of my holiness. Not because of you, because you messed it up. I'm going to show the nations that my, that I am holy. How are you going to do that, God? Verse 24. For I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and will bring you into your own land. Watch this. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanliness. I will summon the grain, make it plentiful. I will not bring famine on you. I will also make the fruit of the trees and the produce of the field plentiful so that you will no longer experience reproach among the nations on account of famine. You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and detestable practices. It is not for your sake that I will act, God said. This is the declaration of the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and humiliated because of your ways, the house of Israel. This is what the Lord God says. On the day I cleanse you from all of your iniquities. God said, you have messed my name up. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to put that respect back on my name out of my holiness. And how I'm going to do that, I'm going to take you in your filth, 
in your defiled state, in your state of death, I am going to come, God said, and I will cleanse you from all your impurities. I will sprinkle clean water on you and make you clean. I will put a new spirit within you. Did you hear that? He said, I'm going to take some water and I'm going to cleanse you with the water. Then I'm going to put my spirit inside of you. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus? Unless a man is born of water and of the spirit, he is not going to enter the kingdom of God. By the way, Nicodemus, don't you already know this? Because it's in the Torah. Don't you already know this? Because it's in the prophets. What God said, he said, I'm going to sprinkle. I'm going to give you something. I'm going to put something inside of you. I'm going to cause you to do something. And then I'm going to save you. He said, I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Clean from what? Clean from my impurities. Those impurities that came about because of my contact with death. The Bible says I'm dead. I've been separated from God. And because of that, I am spiritually dead. And that death that I have brings a defiled stench with it. And so in order for me to enter the kingdom of God, I have to be clean. Thankfully, God had a plan for that. He showed it ceremonially in Numbers chapter 19. When he said anybody that's got messed up with death, take this cow, sacrifice it, shed the blood, burn the ashes, mix it with pure water, and sprinkle it, and I will clean them. Jesus came and said, God told Ezekiel to tell the people, listen, I am going to sprinkle clean water on you, and I will clean you. Then he said, I'm going to give you a new heart. What was wrong with my old heart? Jeremiah told us that. We looked at that. The Bible said the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know? We have an evil heart. Why? Because our heart is attached to us and we are attached to death. Why? Because we are attached to sin and disobedience to God. And so because of that, not only am I defiled and need to be sprinkled with clean water from the, from the, from the Holy Spirit, I also have a dead, stone-cold heart that's good for nothing. And so God said, I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to take your heart of stone out and give you a heart of flesh. So he's going to cleanse us, cleanse us. Remember we talked about the heart? Heart is a control center. That's everything that controls our thoughts, our minds, our decisions. God said, I'm going to give you, forget that one. That was dead. I'm going to give you a brand new one. And then he said, I'm going to put my spirit in you, a new spirit. God himself says, listen, I'm going to clean you up, wash you and make you clean. I'm going to snatch that old, dead, stone-cold heart and put a new heart in you. And then, to top it all off, I myself and my spirit will come and dwell with you. Dwell in you. He fixed it. He then said, I will, I love this part, I will cause you to follow my statutes and I will cause you to carefully observe my ordinances. I've been washed, I've got a brand new heart, and I got the Holy Spirit in me. And then God said, after all that, I'm going to cause you to obey me. I'm going to cause you to look in this word and find out what am I supposed to do and do it. God said, I will do this for my name because you jacked my name up. 
The Bible talks about this, and then he said, I will save you from your uncleanliness. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, come on, man. Don't, don't try to play me. You read Numbers 19. It's the Shabbat Haram. You read Ezekiel 36. You know that God has set up a system from the beginning of time saying that the reason you're dirty, the reason you're dead, the reason you're defiled, you need to be clean with water. Not just regular water, but that water from above. That water, the Bible says, that the idea that water has been mixed with the dead sacrifice of that dead red cow. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, Paul is writing to Titus and he says this. Verse 4, let's start there. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy. Watch this. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the spirit. There it is again. Washing, cleansing, and then the spirit. This isn't something that Jesus just popped off. Jesus just pulled out the sky. <coughs> this goes all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the Torah, all the way through the prophets. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to give you a new spirit. All the way to Jesus saying, Nicodemus, you need to be cleansed and you need a new spirit. All the way past that to Paul telling Titus, he saved us by the washing and then the spirit. Bible says, verse 6, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we have become heirs with the hope of eternal life. Washing so we are clean, and then the Holy Spirit. Hebrews, my second favorite book of the Bible. Still think Paul wrote it. I have no proof of that. Hebrews chapter 8. Now, I want to read the entire chapter 8 and the entire chapter 9 and the entire chapter 10. I can't. We'll be here for seven Sundays. So go home today. Read Hebrews 8, then 9, then 10. Because the entire section, the writer, I'm going to say Paul, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, you remember all that sacrificing and that washing and that ashes and all that stuff we did back in the day? All that is over now because Christ is here. He was an example of that. And so we look at Hebrews chapter 8. He talks about we were under an old covenant, now we're under a new covenant. Ah, oh, I gotta read a little bit of this. Ah, oh, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see, let's see. Um, look at 913. I'll stop right there. Hebrews 9:13. You got it? For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow. Caught that right there? The young cow, that's the heifer. That's the red heifer. The ashes were burned. We took the ashes and put in water. The right Hebrew says with the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a young cow. Numbers chapter 19. Sprinkling those who are defiled. If that sanctified for the purification of the flesh. The writer said that if killing these bulls and these sheep and that red heifer cow and sprinkling that water over them, if that sanctified folks back then and if it purified those back then, the people in the flesh, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. By the way, 
one of the requirements of that red cow is that it had to be curated. It had to have no spots on it. It had to be a cow without blemish. Also, the other thing was, I like this, the cow has to be a new cow such that, now you know what they did with cows. They used cows to pull stuff, like in the fields. And so they would take the cow, they would put a yoke, this big wooden thing around the cow's neck, and the yoke, they would either tie like a, a shovel or, I don't know, not a farmer, those things that you cut lines in the ground with, or wagons, and a cow would carry it. <clears throat> The red heifer that they were to take outside of the, temple, uh, the city and sacrifice had to be a cow that never had a yoke on its neck before. That's a cow that was never under bondage. The idea was sin. Jesus Christ was without sin. He was out without blemish. He never had that yoke of sin on him. That's why Christ was a perfect sacrifice. The writer said, how much more, verse 14, how much more would the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences, consciousness, consciences, thank you, from dead works so that we can serve the living God. Therefore, he is a mediator of the new covenant so that those who are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance because the death has taken place for redemption among the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The writer of Hebrews said, if bulls and goats and red cows were used to sprinkle on us, to cleanse us, how much more was the blood of Christ cleanse us now? God looked at, Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, hey man, the problem is you. Not that you haven't read, but you don't know, but the problem is that you are dead. And the heart that you have right now, that control center of your whole person right now, is dead and stone cold. And you live in a world of death. And you rub shoulders with other dead people and dead things. You are not going to my kingdom unless you are washed and you have the Holy Spirit. Jesus looked at Nicodemus and said, listen, this is how to get into the kingdom. Hebrews 10, 19. I won't read it all. The writer says, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Christ, he has inaugurated for us a, watch this, new and living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest above the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. With our hearts, watch this again, sprinkled clean from the evil conscience and our bodies, watch this, washed in pure water. There has to be a washing there has to be a sprinkling. There has to be a cleansing of what you got now or you will not see God. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage each other and all the more as you see Sunday approaching. The writer says, Turn back to John 3. Jesus told Nicodemus, verse 5, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
Verse 10, are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things, Jesus replied? Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus said, in case you miss about the red half of the red cow with Numbers 19, in case you miss Ezekiel 36 when he talked about the new covenant, and this new covenant means I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, I'm going to snatch out that old heart, give you a new heart, then I'm going to put my spirit in you, then I'm going to cause you to obey me, then I'm going to save you. If you miss that, go back to Leviticus. In Leviticus, the children of Israel were complaining against Moses. God said, okay, how about this? Send some snakes to them. Snakes went to the camp, bit a bunch of people, instantly died. People dying everywhere. These snakes are killing people. They're dying. The people are like, oh, no, Moses, our bad. We shouldn't have complained against God. Please pray to God that he moved these snakes away. What was happening? Death was in the camp. People were getting bitten by these serpents and death was happening. People were touching death. They had to go get the water and cleanse themselves because death was everywhere. God said, okay, Moses, I will heal them, but this is how I'm going to do it. Go make a snake out of some metal. Hold it up in the middle of the camp. And anybody that has been bitten by the snake before they die, if they just look up at that bronze snake that you're holding up, I will heal them instantly. That's why Jesus said, just as Moses, teacher of the law, Nicodemus, she goes on and notice, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus was telling Nicodemus, Jesus is telling us, the problem is not you're not living your best life. The problem is not you're not living the best version of yourself. The problem is not you need to be a better person. The problem is not you're not living by the golden rule. The problem is not I don't get drunk. I don't do drugs. I ain't killed nobody. Those aren't the problems. Jesus told Nicodemus, the problem is that you're dead and you got an old heart and you're dirty. And unless you clean your heart by me, God, sprinkling the blood, the water, the cleansing agent, unless you allow me to snatch out that old heart and put my new heart in you, and unless you allow the Holy Spirit to enter into your life, to control you, to do what, uh, uh, to, to, to take over your life, for you to conform to the Holy Spirit, if you don't do those things, you will continue on in your death and you will continue on in defile. This is the message of salvation. This is what we have to let the world know. This is what we have to understand ourselves first. Paul said, first, check out your salvation. Make sure you've done that. Make sure you've been sprinkled clean. Make sure you got, don't have your old heart. You know how you can tell you have an old heart? If you're still doing old stuff. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. So if you don't have love for everybody, if you don't have a joyous spirit, if you don't long-suffering, if somebody can tick you off just like that all the time, if you don't have patience, then you need to check yourself because you probably got that old heart. And if you got that old heart, that means you're still dead. That means you're still defiled, and that means you're not going. You're not part of the kingdom. And that's why Paul says, listen, Peter says, Paul said, look, test your heart. Check your salvation. 
You better make sure you have been clean, sprinkle that blood on you, make sure you got a new heart, and make sure that the Holy Spirit is controlling you. Do you think like God? Do you operate like God does? Do the decisions you make, are they decisions that God would do? Are your first thoughts those things that are godly? You know what I should, how I should react in this situation? They did this, but I'm going to do this. Is that this that you do, is that come from this? That's how you know if the Holy Spirit is controlling you. The Bible says be controlled by the Spirit. That's how you know. If your thoughts are still, you know what? They asked for it, they're about to get it. If your thoughts are still, how can I sneak? How can I get away? Then you need to do a heart check, a spirit check, and a cleansing check to make sure you're clean. And our message to the world needs to be that. We need to let the world know. Okay? Not that you need to come to church. Come to church ain't it. He didn't say, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will start going to church. No. That's not even part of the equation. Clean, new heart, Holy Spirit. Jesus informed Nicodemus that the problem was him. The problem is us, mankind. And the problem was he needed a heart transplant. You can come to church, you can read the Bible, you can do good stuff for people, you can sing in a choir, you can be an usher, you can be a friend with your pastor, you cannot cuss, you cannot get drunk, your mama could be saved, your daddy could be a Christian, you can follow the golden rule, you can help the poor, you can advocate for change, you can love God, you can pray to God, you can attempt to obey what the Bible says, you can do all those things and still burn in hell. If you haven't been cleansed by sprinkling with the blood and washing of the water of purification, if you haven't taken that old heart out and God has put in a new heart, and if you're not being controlled by the Holy Spirit, if you have the same dead original heart you started out with, that you were born with, then the God who knows, Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, who can know it? God said in the next verse, oh, I know it and I expect it. The God who knows your heart, the God who knows the real you, the God who knows that control center and he inspect it, will give you what your heart, what your deceitful and desperate heart deserves, physical and spiritual death. Cleansing only comes through Jesus. And that was the context of John 3.16. The very next verse, Jesus said, For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish. That's the end of sin. Disobedience, sin, death, defilement, and then perish. Jesus said that he will not perish, but will have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed on the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light is coming to the world. The people have loved darkness, <coughs> excuse me, darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, so that his deeds may be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works will be shown to be accomplished by God. How do you know that you have believed? Because your works, those things that you do, the way you think, the way you react, the way you talk, the way you walk, it shows it's being accomplished by God. Unless you are cleansed by water, born of water and of the spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Make sure you're clean. Check your heart out. Make sure your heart is a heart of flesh 
and it came from God. And check who's controlling you. Is it the Holy Spirit? If you're clean, a new heart, Holy Spirit, praise God. You're part of the kingdom. Let's go out there and let the world know that they need to be clean, new heart, and filled with the Holy Spirit so they can also be part of the kingdom. And Jesus said, because of that, the things that you do, your works will be seen to be, oh, look at God. Yesterday when we were out there feeding the homeless, it was look at God. Not look at Olu and Kells and Shirley Ann feeding. No, look at God because that's the works that we do based on us being clean, based on a new heart, and based on the Holy Spirit. People can look and say, look at God. Father, we love you. We thank you, God, for this time in your word. We thank you, God, that Ezekiel said you did this for yourself, not because of anything we've done, because we are just defiled and wretched and dirty and deaf. Thank you, God, that you made a choice, you made a decision because of your holy name to cleanse us, because of your holy name to give us a new heart, because of your holy name to give us your spirit so that we can be a beacon to the world of you here in Babylon. I pray, God, that we will take your word, God, and apply it to our lives so we will live a life worthy of the cleanliness that we have based on your sacrifice. Live a life worthy of this new heart that you gave us and live a life worthy of your Holy Spirit being with us. That our works, our talks, our thoughts, our actions, our decisions will reflect you. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray.